all right? Every Sunday, we have been intentional because I believe that when we are intentional, God does things in our lives. We have to take action, amen? So let's go. The faith confession is going to be up on the, on the screen. We ready to go, David? Beautiful. Ready? One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises, pursue passionately, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is my proof. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and say amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. I want you to imagine something with me. We're going to jump into God's word. So if you have your Bibles, grab uh, and open it up to Matthew, the first gospel in the New Testament, Matthew, and make your way to chapter 9. I want you to imagine with me as you're turning to Matthew chapter 9. That here in America, right here in Massachusetts, New England, Middlesex County, wherever it is that you end up living here in this region, I want you to imagine that another country has invaded our land. They have stepped into our territory, broken into our government, and set up shop in our neighborhood. They've imposed martial law. The Constitution does not matter anymore. What they say matters. Everywhere you look, you see soldiers with guns ready to enforce their rules. Now imagine with me that living right next door to you, your neighbor sees all this happening and says, I ain't going to stay in a place of no control. So they go over to the oppressors, the, the invaders, and they say, hey, can I like, you know, get a job with you guys? Like you, you guys are awesome. You guys are amazing. Like, yeah, we needed a change in this country. Thank you for showing up. And by the way, can I work for you? And, you know, I, here, here's some, like, I'll pay you some money so that I can have the opportunity to be one of your employees under your charge, approved by you, accepted by you, I will work for you. Now, how many of y'all, if you had y'all, I've been to Texas recently, someone asked me, what's up with the y'all? That's, that's what's up. Um, how many of you would be very excited to live next door to a neighbor who's decided to do all this? Let me see some hands. Somebody's got to be excited, no? Nobody? All right. Well, this neighbor not only wants to go work for the oppressors, the invaders, but this neighbor has made himself a little piece of the pie where now he gets to enjoy enforcing the rules of the invaders on you and your neighbor profits off of that. Sounds like a great person, doesn't it? <laughs> Sounds like the very best person that you want to be friends with and invite for dinner. 
No, this is the person that you're going to avoid at all costs. You don't want them looking into your business. They don't want, you don't want them reporting you to the authorities. You don't want this person around. You want to avoid them. Well, today I want us to take a look at one such person from the Gospel of Matthew. And I want us to take a look at how everything changes when you're on a mission. Because even though this is the person that is next door, this is the person that Jesus wants to reach. Somebody say amen. If you're in Matthew chapter 9, I want you to take a look with me at the scum that is the man named Matthew. Because that's how society labeled him. This is what everyone thought of him. He's the scum that works for the Romans and who taxes us and reports on us and hurts my family financially and he makes a profit off of it. I don't like this Matthew. Matthew chapter nine. Verse 9 and onwards, it says, As Jesus went from there, he was leaving the area of Capernaum where he had been ministering. He had healed. He had done all sorts of amazing miracles. Jesus saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. And look what he says to him. Follow me, he told them. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what it means, quoting from Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Father, I recognize that you are above all things, and you are capable of doing incredible things. Lord, I am conscious that your Holy Spirit is here today, and I invite you to speak to us, Lord. I submit myself as an instrument in your hand, and I pray that you would bring out the truths in your word, that it would bring life to your people. Lord, I know that today you have drawn men and women here that have a need, Lord God, to either start a relationship or restart a relationship with you. I ask you, God, that if it is given a chance, if people have a chance, that today, God, nothing would impede them from making that choice. And I also recognize that in this place, there are people who are looking for a faith home. Lord, I pray that today nothing would impede them from saying Celebration International Church is the place that God has put me here to grow and advance. Lord, I recognize beyond all things that in this room there are mighty men and women who are victorious and overcomers. And God, no thing and no one can stand in the way of your people advancing and growing for your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Church, this morning we've... we've I want us to continue in contemplating who we are and why we're here. 
We've been talking recently, you know, through Celebration Sunday and celebrating the vision that God's given us and, and where God wants us to go. I want to bring before you that we are going to accomplish the vision of a life worth celebrating for all by revealing Jesus Christ. Number one, by revealing Jesus Christ, we reveal, we raise people to greater potential and we reach others because every life has something worth celebrating and God has a plan for every person. So we need to understand that there is a mission that the church needs to engage with. We need to understand why we are here. So turn to your neighbor and ask them, why are you here? No, no, legit, now you answer them. Go answer them. Why are you here? All right, I'm here to serve God. Bless the Lord. Okay, praise God. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Why are we here? I hope that by the end of this, we can see that the mission requires a few things from us. And what Jesus is proposing to Matthew, it is something of incredible hope and and incredible change and opportunity, but it's also something that has grave responsibility and it has some intentional actions that we need to follow through with. So let's open up our hearts and, and let's see what are the things, what are the major themes that we find in this passage? The first thing I want you to take a look at is this, that there is a call to follow Jesus. Say call. There is a call to follow Jesus. The call to follow Jesus is an invitation that was expressed to Matthew, but this is a call that echoes throughout the pages of the gospel. It's a call that goes out to men and women alike. It goes from one region to the other region. And it reaches all the way down to today that we are called to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who roamed the earth, who lived, who died, but who the gospel says rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father. It's a call that transcends all time. This call transcends culture. It transcends circumstance. It reaches out into each individual with a personal and profound invitation to embark on a journey called faith. It's a call for every person. In our passage today, I want us to take a look and see that Jesus is giving this call to a tax collector named Matthew. And the other gospels calls him Levi. Had two names. This tax collector would have been considered the social outcast, the scum of the earth. He's the neighbor living next door that wants to work for the oppressing government that has invaded the land. And he's making money off of taxing you more than you should be taxed. He's not the best neighbor in the world. Yet in the midst of his brokenness and unworthiness and all of the issues in his life, Jesus sees in Matthew a heart that is ripe for transformation. Isn't that beautiful? He sees in Matthew a heart that is yearning for change. Jesus sees in Matthew a heart that is ready to bring glory to God, because God is all about redeeming us from death and crowning us with loving mercy. 
So what do we see here? We see a call that is first and foremost a call to relationship. Say relationship. When Jesus tells Matthew, follow me, he's inviting him into a personal and intimate fellowship of relationship with Jesus. He say, hey, Matthew, come be my buddy. Hey, Matthew, come get to know me. Come walk with me and journey with me. I want to know you and I want you to know me. He's inviting him into an intimate relationship and communion with himself. It's not just, hey, Matthew, I want you to come know some things about me. It's not about you ascending in your intellect to know a few things and quote a few scriptures and know some doctrines or some principles. But Jesus is wholeheartedly asking him, I want you to surrender into a relationship with me. It's a call to be known and to know. It's a call to love and be loved. He's inviting him into a relation. It's a call to be daily dependent upon this guy, Jesus. How many of you have been incredibly blessed in your life because Jesus invited you not to a set of rules, but he invited you into a relationship? He invited you into a relationship. He invited me to not just try to perform for him, but he invited me. When I, when I started serving the Lord, he invited me into a place where I could have someone to talk to. So that I could have somebody that knows me more than I know myself. And he can show me things about myself that I didn't even know were there. Because a friend, those who are closest to us, know us Intimately. We were doing growth track yesterday with the group here. If you missed it, you missed it. You got to show up today, all right? We want you to know about our church, and I want you to discover some things about your intricate design and how you can connect to make a difference. And so it's very important that you participate in that. It was interesting that, you know, we were taking some assessments, and, um, you know, one person had said something like, well, look, if you were to answer this question in front of your husband or your wife, right? The person, you know, was a woman and had a husband. Like, if you were to answer in front of your husband, would your husband agree with the statement that you just answered? Why? Because those who are closest to us, those who we have an intimate relationship, they have a window into our lives. And they can know some things about us. And even though we might say, I'm like this or I do this, they'll be like, uh, I've never seen you do that. You've never answered that way ever. Now, in fact, this is how you speak instead of what you just said. Like those who are intimate provide us some awareness. It provide, they provide us insight. <coughs> they help us tremendously. As we consider this, this relational aspect to the call to follow Jesus, it's important for us to recognize that he is calling us into a community. In this passage, we find Matthew at his booth responding to Jesus' invitation, and immediately when Jesus said, hey, come follow me, Matthew, he invited him into a community of other disciples. He invited him into a group and a band of people. Now it's no longer just about him and Jesus. It's a reminder that this Christian life is meant for us to be lived within the context of community. We need each other, don't we, church? 
We need each other. We need fellowship and community. In the context of community, believers are united to a common commitment for Jesus Christ. We're united. The call to follow Jesus is a call to be part of the body of Christ. We're not just joining, you know, an organization. We're joining a family. We're joining a body. We're joining a unity. We're joining a collective that operates and and has accountability and helps and fosters and directs. We bear each other's burdens. We celebrate each other's joys. We are a family of believers. So he's calling him into this intimate relationship and intimate community. But I want you to understand what he is calling Matthew to is he's calling him to transformation. Think about this. This is a man who is sitting at his tax collector's booth, taxing other Jewish brothers and sisters. He is taxing his own people. What Jesus is asking him to do is, I want you to leave behind your life as a tax collector. And I want you to come to be a new person with a new identity as my disciple. I want you to come and be a follower. This transformation isn't just an outward change, but it's a change within Matthew's very heart. What God invites us to is a change in our heart. He wants us to submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit so that he can not just change the behaviors in our lives, but he can change the very desires of our heart. He can align us to his will. He can align us to the things that he has foreseen and set up, which are good for us. It's good for us. As we follow Jesus, have you found this? that you start sounding more like him. The things that he says or does actually start making a difference in your life. Maybe you might not understand it yet, but the things and actions of Jesus now start to weigh on you. And we start to consider those things. Well, that is a process that we call in the Bible sanctification. When we come into knowing and following Jesus, he invites us into a process called sanctification, which is he makes us to be more like him. It's not immediate. It takes time. And hey, it's a lifelong process. Jesus is calling Matthew, hey, I want you to join not only in relationship with me and transformation, but I want you to join the mission. I want you to come and follow after the mission that I have because I want you to lead others into relationship with me. I want you to bring hope into the lives of other people that are around you. As followers of Jesus, we're called to be ambassadors of Christ and to reach the world that is around us. Reality, newsflash, we're not called to just be a social club and to get fat on the word and to feel good about ourselves and to compare ourselves to those who are outside of our own group. But Jesus has called us into the mission of actually making other followers of Christ. He calls us into the ministry. And the reality is some of us believe that he only reserves that call for pastors or for missionaries or for worship leaders, or for those who have a job in the church. But the reality is that he is calling each and every one of us into this responsibility and privilege 
to make other believers in the world. We have to reveal Jesus, church. He is calling Matthew, I want you to come and reveal me in your transformed life, in your relationship, in your mission. I want you to reveal me in what you do, Matthew. As we follow Jesus, we're called to demonstrate his love and his compassion in a hurting and broken world. And we don't have to look far to see how the world is hurting and broken. We see the pain. We see the sorrow. We see the violence. We see stuff that are happening and, and, and all of these things that are going on around us. Jesus is calling us to step into the mission of bringing hope in hopelessness, change and transformation in places that seem dire and desperate. In addition, he's calling him to an important reality that this call is universal, but it's also unique. Matthew, I want you to understand that this invitation, I'm extending it to you, but this invitation is for all people. I invite everybody to be followers and everybody to come and join in this call. And this man, Matthew, who most people would have looked and said, you are unworthy. You can't be the one, you're not qualified. In the eyes of the religious elite, the Pharisees, the ones who are showing up at his house later for dinner, they're looking at Matthew and tax collectors and everybody else saying, you guys don't belong here. This isn't for you. What are you doing here? Why is Jesus with you guys? Yet Jesus goes beyond the outward appearance and he calls Matthew, inviting him to a life of redemption. I want us to put in our hearts today, church, we had this event called Trunk or Treat. Our call to follow Jesus is not based on our merit. It's not based on us being worthy. It's completely based on his grace and his mercy. And he's called us in the midst of our own darkness, in the midst of our own failures, in the midst of our own issues, because he is gracious and merciful towards us. He's calling Matthew because, Matthew, it's universal for all people. But also, Matthew, I'm calling you because it's unique to you. I want you as a tax collector to come because you're made in a certain way. You have certain skills that I need. You have certain ideas and temperaments and ideologies and personality that I want to use because you will reach others that someone else will not. He's calling Matthew out of the context of working as a tax collector, knowing that this is a man who's very good at keeping records. And what are we reading? We're reading the gospel according to Matthew. A man who was good at keeping numerical records brought his pen and his pad with him when he followed Jesus and he started taking some notes. And to this very day, we are reading about his account of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Christ and the miracles and the wonders that Jesus wrought in the world because God called uniquely this tax collector who was very good at attention to detail. Isn't that amazing? That God calls us universally, but he calls us uniquely. God's got a plan for you. Tell your neighbor, God calls you. God is calling you with your skills, with your temperament, with your personality, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, whether you're task-oriented or people-oriented, 
Whether you fill up your tank by being around people so every party that you get an invitation to, you're there. Despite the work you got to do, the chores you got to accomplish, the things that are on your plate, you want to be there. Why? Because when you get there, you fill up your tank and you're emotionally full. He's calling you that if somebody invites you to the party, you come up with whatever excuse you possibly can because that will drain the living daylights out of you. He's calling you. Jesus is calling each and every one of us because he wants us. There is no one-size-fits-all proposition. There is an individual, specific invitation for every person to use their unique skills and talents and circumstances to bring glory to God. But I want you to understand a couple of things. As we reflect, he's being called, hey, Matthew, leave your job, follow me. I want us to understand as we reach out into this community, as we you know, push forward this vision of a life worth celebrating for all, that as we joined with the mission that Jesus has given us, that there is a cost associated with following Jesus. Say cost. There's a cost. All right, maybe this is more where we could relate because we, we have felt the cost. Anybody ever feel the cost of following Jesus? Ever, ever feel the cost when you go up to your boss or your neighbor or your friend or your family and you tell them, you know what, I love Jesus. How many of them are just patting you on the back and saying, praise the Lord, you're amazing. Tell me about this, anybody? This place should have been erupting with saying, yes, me. Why? Because even though there's a cost, There's a benefit. And if people, all they see is the cost and not the benefit, nobody wants to join us. There's a cost, but there's benefits. But let me just get into the cost for a second. Notice with me how following Jesus is not a decision to be taken lightly because what did Matthew have to do? Here's a man who's sitting at his tax booth and Jesus says, follow me immediately. Immediately. It was a call that you have to give up your job. The cost was, Matthew, leave your job and come follow me. That was his unique experience. God was calling him and saying, look, I want you to forsake your own desires, your own ambitions. I want you to fully embrace this right now. I want you to follow after me. You are no longer working as a tax collector. This man who was considered a traitor by taxing his own people is now asked by Jesus Let go of your booth and come wander the streets with me. Come journey with me. Come itinerate with me. Come do life together with me. Uh, I'm not telling you if you're going to work or not work. Just come. Just come. He had to leave his booth. Consider the context of this. By choosing to follow Jesus, he's leaving behind the source of his income. He's leaving behind his social standing with the Roman government. In some way, somehow, he is leaving his protection even. Oh, there goes Matthew. You know what? I heard he's not working in the booth anymore. There's no Roman guards following him everywhere he goes. This is our chance. That guy that has taxed us and put us out of business and made me lose my house and go into foreclosure because I could not pay all the taxes he was demanding of me. This is our chance. Let's go jump him. He's letting go of his job and the benefits that come with his job. He is sacrificing his own personal safety because of the fact that Jesus has called him. Sure, Peter, James, John, these guys, when they're called, they used to be fishermen. 
Maybe they're not being asked so much because at the end of the day, they could go back to being fishermen if this ministry thing didn't work out. But Matthew, he can't go back. See, the Roman government would show up in the region and they would allow people to bid for positions to become tax collectors. Whoever gave the highest bid would get that post and then they would be able to tax a certain amount of money to give to Rome and he, they could tax a whole lot more money to keep for themselves. So the minute that Matthew leaves that booth, who do you think is gonna knock on the door of the Roman proconsul right afterwards? A whole bunch of new candidates who wants that post and wants to make money off of their neighbors and wants to help Rome and advance their own selfish ambitions and protect themselves in their own power. So if Matthew wants to go back, the, the Romans won't take him, but then there's already somebody in his job. Jesus says, hey, Matthew, come follow me. But this man moves and he follows Jesus, even though He's letting go of something lucrative, something safe, something that he has some protection and some social standing with the government and the agency, and he is moving forward to follow Jesus Christ. In addition to the personal sacrifice that he makes, he is costing himself with a religious society. He was not accepted. Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. He is risking his own personal reputation to be with this man. And Matthew is now possibly compromising Jesus Christ in the standing of the religious community. There's a cost. Hey, me showing up, maybe I'm going to taint you and I'm going to make you look bad. Maybe I shouldn't do this because it's impacting me, but it might impact you. Yet he goes regardless. Church, what am I trying to get at here? How many of you have found that when you choose to follow Jesus, maybe it's cost you a relationship or two? There might have been a man or a woman or a friend or a neighbor or a colleague or a cousin, a family member that you used to be very close with and very tight with and used to, you know, go and do a lot of things together. But now you become a follower of Jesus Christ, it's costing you that relationship. Oh, you're the goody two-shoes, or you're the, the person who's a Jesus freak, and you're the one that, that's always about reading your Bible, or you're doing this and that, and oh, you're, you're the person that's against this and against that, and they don't know anything that we're for. They just know what we're against, and so they don't want to spend time with us. It's cost you a relationship. When we follow Jesus, maybe it involves us losing, you know, some opportunities, Maybe losing some material possessions, maybe losing a couple of things that used to be near and dear to our lives because following Jesus is a call to pick up our cross and walk. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a theologian, a very renowned Christian theologian, who himself paid the ultimate price of being martyred by the Nazis in, in, in Europe, he wrote this in his book, the cost of discipleship. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer's words serve for us as a sobering reminder that to follow Jesus is not a decision that we make lightly. It's not a one-time decision. It's a decision that happens every day, every hour, every moment. Am I gonna allow myself and my desires and my um, desire to take care of myself and provide for myself and fulfill my own desires and plans and purposes and future? Or will I choose to say, Lord, I give this to you. Have your way in me. 
because you know best. It's a daily commitment. As you reflect on that, what has God called you to let go of? What is he maybe calling you to do right now? We don't have to look far, do we? Because deep down in our hearts, the Bible tells us that he has written eternity in our hearts. And he's put, in, uh, put inside of us uh, a certain knowledge of what is right and what is wrong. And he is calling us to let go of some things and to pick up other things. And yet we have this war within us. Should I do it or should I not? What is it that he's asking you to do? Because you might reflect and say, oh, that price is way too much. That cost is way too much. I'm not ready to pay it. But let me just say, if that's where you land, then you have not considered the benefits of the call. Why is Jesus calling us? Because there are incredible benefits when we join in his mission. If we do not look at what Paul says and what Jesus has shown us, we miss out on the ability to say yes to the cost. Paul says this when he's speaking in Philippians. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I remember when um, I started going to Bible school. Before I went, I was working in a corporate job. I have an international business degree, and I was doing a multi-level marketing thing on the side, and I thought I was going to retire by 25, and uh, just because I had a lot of friends who were retired at 25, making, you know, six, seven figures. And so I thought, this is what I'm going to do. But as I was going down in that, in that journey and, and following after that plan, working, advancing, and, and doing something on the side and all this other stuff, I started getting this resounding, you know, overwhelming feeling in my heart that what matters if I win financially, but that's not where I need to win. And then I started feeling like I don't want to win and succeed at something that doesn't matter. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that having finances and being able to provide for your family and, and having enough is not a worthwhile cause. It is. But I was in the realm of greed and avarice, and all I wanted was to be rich, 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 rich. And that's money. The love of money was in my heart. And I'm feeling like, ah, oh, this doesn't feel right. And I started going to Bible school. I took a vacation from class, I'm from work, and enrolled for a summer intensive program, and I went to Bible school, and I started having this, well, maybe this is where I need to go. And God started realigning my heart. Again, I'm telling you, the, the call into relationship with him into a community. I started to, 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 to want to be together with other Christian believers who had hope in their heart in the future. And even though they were not rich, 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 they, they, they had peace in their heart that I did not have. They had hope in their lives that I did not understand. They were going through difficult things beyond what I was going through, and they were actually joyful in the midst of it. And I'm like, what is this? How is it that you have this? And I started growing in that feeling that really to succeed at something that does not matter is not worth it. Jesus says in his word, 
What does it matter or profit a man if he wins the whole world, but he loses his soul? Jesus is calling us to something that is greater. Therefore, Paul can say, I count it all rubbish that I can attain in order that I may gain Christ. Because when you gain Christ, you gain the one who is able to provide. When you gain Christ, you gain the one who is able to give you direction. When you gain Christ, you gain somebody that is for you and not against you. And so let's just talk about the benefits real quick. And I want to give you an invitation this morning. The benefits of following Jesus, as we look at Matthew, what did this man gain as he left his tax collector booth and, you know, put himself on the line, letting go of some benefits, some money, some protection and all these things? What did he gain? The first and foremost thing that every person who follows after Jesus gains is eternal life. Jesus says, if you know me, right, uh, for God so loved the world that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus gives us the blessing of one day having eternal life. Church, we are on a mission to bring eternal life to everybody and anybody that would possibly hear us. That is the first thing that anybody should be able to celebrate. Anybody who has eternal life, you have already a life worth celebrating. The end. If that's all you have, you have the best thing of all. You have the life that will never end, that will always persist, that will always be good because it is eternity with God. We are in a mission to bring eternal life to the world around us. This eternal life is not just a future hope, but it's something that's a present reality now. When we live in light of eternity, things change on how we work and operate in this temporal space. When our choices are not just built on how is our 401k going to perform, but it's built on when the 401k runs out, because there is an eternity that goes beyond that. Now, if I have enough in my 401k, that doesn't make too much of a difference. Because there is something longer and better that's beyond that. Jesus granted access to relationship to him. See, every man has fallen short of God's glory and are in need of a savior. Every person, when we were born into this earth, we inherited the sin of Adam and Eve and we have been alienated from God. And when Jesus shows up, he says, look, I am here to save those who are lost. I'm here to heal those who are sinners. I am here to make a way for those who do not have eternity available to them in life. I am here to grant them that. Matthew, enter into eternal life. Come follow me. Another benefit of following Jesus is that we get to experience true peace and true joy. Think about that. Paul says, Jesus offers us peace that surpasses all understanding. I remember a college professor of mine at seminary, his wife had to do a very intricate, detailed surgery. And um, he, he joked in the class because he had a, a challenging dialogue with his wife. She was very distraught over the, the thing, and um, it was a very difficult procedure. But as he's waiting in the waiting room, a supernatural peace just comes over him. And when his wife comes out of the procedure, everything goes well, she asks him, 
how did you feel? Were you worried for me? And that wasn't really a good answer that he gave her because he says, nope. <laughs> what do you mean you weren't worried about me? He's like, there was such a peace in my heart that everything was going to be fine. I, I can't understand. I can't explain it. I don't, I don't know. But in that moment, all worry, all fear, all anxiety just disappeared from me. And everything within me should have been worried. Because I knew the facts, they went through the procedures, they showed me the chances of it not working out right, and the odds were stacked against you. Yet in that moment, this supernatural, what were you doing? He didn't want to tell her. He was actually working on grading some papers. <laughs> so anyways, there's this peace. I don't know if you felt it. In the middle of a difficult moment, when things seem to be falling apart around you, when there was a health scare and a concern, when, when the world around you is falling apart, that you, no matter what is happening around you, there is this security and assurance within your heart. There's this peace, there's this joy. And honestly, friends, the world is watching us for that. The world is watching us because they find that very attractive. The benefit of sanctification, the benefit of direction and purpose. You know, there's so many benefits when we come to follow after Jesus that if we were to list them all, we would be here all day. We would be here till next week. We would be here till Jesus returns because he does so much for us and so much through us. The Bible tells us that his word is a lamp onto our feet and a light onto our path. He gives us direction. He gives us, you know, insight. Some of you don't know what you need to do next and where you should go. Get Jesus. Start following after him and he will illuminate your path. The Bible says in our hearts, we plan our course. We have all these plans. I'm going to be married by 25. I'm going to have this job. I'm going to have these many kids and this is going to happen. And yet God directs our path. And if we just follow after him in intimate relationship, he'll give us the next step. I remember when I was going to, to seminary and, and uh, I took vacation, I did it, I got discouraged because everyone there seemed to know exactly where they wanted to go and be. You know, one of my college friends said, I'm going to be a missionary to Tokyo. And another person, I'm going to be a pastor in this city. God's called me to go reach this region of the world. And then they asked me, hey, Pastor Brian, I wasn't a pastor then, but they say, hey, Brian, what, 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 what are you going to do? What is God calling you to? And I said, uh, just come to the next class. And I got discouraged because I'm like, you know, these, they all know where they're going. I just feel like I need to be faithful to take the next step. And that's the thing. When you follow after Jesus, he's not giving you a map. He's giving you light onto your feet. And that shows you your next step. And then when you take that step in following him, he says, okay, let me give you light for the next one. And how much better would it be for you to follow after the one who can see the whole destination, the end from the beginning, than for you to follow a make-up plan that you heard someone else do, that somebody else who doesn't know the end from the beginning made up a proposal, is managing a fund, is figuring out a proposal of a trajectory for you, but that really does not account for all the variables. It doesn't account for all the twists and the turns. Yeah, you're not going to be married at 25. Oh, by the way, you wanted three kids. Well, let's deal with this thing called infertility. That did you even factor this into your life? 
But hey, if you have the one that gives you guidance and peace and hope and eternity, it does not matter what you're facing now and what you're seeing before you're naturalized because there is one who is ordaining every step. It's an invitation for way more than Matthew had bargained for. And he was very joyful to have received it, to have joined the spiritual community, to have stepped into the presence of God. And friend, that is what we have. Jesus has offered us this promise. He says, wait in Jerusalem until I send you the promise of the Father until I send you the helper who will guide you into all truth, the one who will empower you to be my witnesses around the world. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And when we choose to follow after God, we gain the very presence of God within our lives. And God comes to abide with us and lead us, help us, sustain us, teach us, guide us, deliver us, empower us, and all of these amazing things. God is for us and he will never leave us because the word says, till the end of the age, I will be with you. But pastor, maybe I need to sacrifice my job. Yeah, but you're gaining eternity. Yeah, but you're gaining a helper. Yeah, but you're gaining peace. You're gaining joy. You're gaining direction. You're gaining hope. You're gaining, 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 gaining. Why do we look at the things we got to let go? We, if we really stop and think about it, we're not letting go of much. That's why Solomon says, vanity of vanity. I chased his money. I chased uh, drinking. I chased women. I chased this. I chased jobs. I chased, you know, accomplishments. I chased achievements. I chased all these things. At the end of it all, vanity and vanity. Here's the heart of Ecclesiastes. Fear God and follow after him. He adds, he gains into our lives. And now, look, Matthew was called to leave, but God calls us to, to be used in our communities. He's maybe not calling you to let go of your, of your you know, tax preparation business. He wants you to bring the glory of Jesus there. He doesn't call you to leave the medical profession. He wants you to invade the medical atmosphere, the office, the hospital, the clinic that you're at with his presence and glory. He wants you to bring his mission into your workplace. And so some of us will be called to leave that entirely. Others will be called to bring Jesus into it. He's calling us. Now, with all this said, I'll invite the team to come up. I want you to just consider this. Seeing that there is a call to follow, that he's extending it to the one who is a traitor, who is the scum of society in their day. The minute that Matthew showed up, I bet you the other disciples, what is he doing here? Him? No way. This dude, seriously. This man has caused me many tears. This man has actually hurt my family. You're calling him? No, I don't. If, if you want him on the team, I want out. I can imagine these conversations have happened. Jesus calls. Matthew counts the cost and says, immediately. The Bible doesn't tell us he gives any excuse. He gives any, you know, reasoning. He tells him, let me do this first and put this condition. Immediately he gets up and he says, absolutely. 
everyone hates me. My fellow patriots hate me, yet you are inviting me? You're bringing me into community? You're offering me hope? You're you're extending eternal life to me? There is hope for me? Immediately he gets up and he goes. He counts the cost, but then he counts the benefits. He says, there's no question, I'm going. And he throws a party. He throws a party. He is so grateful of what Jesus is bringing into his life that he throws a party, a feast, a banquet. Because church, what we receive, we can't keep to ourselves. Freely you've received, freely give. And really in this season of our church, as we pursue a vision of a life we're celebrating for all people, choosing to reveal Christ because he reveals life, choosing to raise people to greater potential, choosing to reach others because every life is worthy. Are we like Matthew? Or are we like the Pharisees? How are we behaving? If Jesus' true mission is what he says at the end of this verse, for I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. Are we engaging that mission ourselves? Or do we align ourselves with the Pharisees? The church has been guilty for many years of operating under this paradigm that the church is a place for somber saints. Reality flash, spoiler alert, that's wrong. The church is a place for jubilant, excited, fired up sinners. The church is a place where there is celebration in the mouths, in the hearts, in the faces of those who are broken and hurting and depraved and lost. It's not the place for prim and proper, saved, sanctified, perfect people. The change that Jesus has brought to our own lives has to make us want to help those that are right next door to us. And that's what Matthew says. I'm leaving this because that's all I've experienced is hate and, 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 and people looking at me like I'm not worthy or deserving. Well, reality is I'm not. I can't measure up. I am a sinner needing your grace, Jesus. Let me follow you, please. And Jesus, by the way, I got friends that are the same way as I am. And can you please speak to them? You can come to my house. I'll throw a wild party. I'll invest. I'll buy the best steaks. I'll get everything ready because I just need them to hear what you've shared with me. The gospel message is compromise more by our unwillingness to share it than anything else. Let that sink in. 
Oh, but the world's against us and the enemy is, is working and he's infiltrating into music and media and politics and government and da-da-da-da-da. It's more compromised by our unwillingness to share it than anything the enemy can do. We often act like people of bad reputation or with past behaviors have been cut off from ever meeting Jesus. And that's not the case. If we believe this, we're dead wrong and we need to know Jesus ourselves. We have not encountered him. We have not embraced his teachings. We have not engaged his mission. We're simply not a disciple, not a follower. The question that I ask you is, what is your approach to non-Christians like Matthew? Are you more like Matthew? who opened up his home, or are you more like the Pharisees? Will you stand with me? There was a Los Angeles County parking clerk who came upon a brown Cadillac Eldorado that was parked on the street on street sweeping day. He was by the curb, illegally parked. So the officer, concentrating on his duty, wrote the man a ticket totally ignoring the man seated in the car, behind the wheel. The officer, the clerk, reached through the window that was open and slapped the $30 ticket on the man's dashboard. The driver of the car made no excuses. There was no argument, but, but officer, I just, I just, a moment, someone's inside, I'm just waiting. I'm just idling for a second, I'm not parking. There was no argument, there was no excuse, there was nothing. Nothing ensued for good reason. See, 12 hours earlier, that man had been shot in the head and he had died. He had slumped over a little bit in the car, there is blood on his face. He is there totally gone. Yet the officer was so preoccupied with doing the job of ticket writing that he missed and never noticed that something was wrong. He didn't see it. He simply got back in his car and he drove away. I did my job today. Church, there are men and women who are lost and dying and dead in their trespasses around us. The church is not a place for us to just do what feels good and amass our own intellect in growing with Jesus. So what? So that we can quote how much we know to him when we stand before him? No, how much we know should impact us and prepare us to go out and reach those who are dead in their trespasses. Why are we doing trunk or treat, Pastor Brian? It's Halloween night. We all about Halloween now? No, we're not. But the church is in this community and the community walks through our parking lot. Let's do it on the 30th instead because we don't want to agree with all that Halloween is all about. No problem. We'll do it on the 30th or the 29th or the, or the 1st of December. We'll do or do, whatever day of the year other than the 31st. 
But let me tell you who we're going to attract. Us. We're going to attract you who have been invited to follow after Jesus, who have counted the cost and who has perceived the benefits and said yes. But what about your neighbor who's shot? Who needs to know the truth? They're walking into our parking lot. They're actually going against the rule that their mamas told them ever since they were little kids. Don't talk to strangers. They're talking to strangers. We're strangers. Let them talk to us. Oh, pastor, I don't agree with it. No problem. You are entitled to your opinion and interpretation. Until Jesus tells us otherwise, we need to be about bringing the mission of Jesus so that other men who are lost and broken, hurting and desperate can come to follow him and receive life. Because it's not about the saints. It's about the sinners. And sinners are good at sinning. We need to be good at witnessing. We need to be good at revealing. And we reveal by our actions, by our words, by bringing Jesus.